Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Before we get started, support for this podcast comes from Boost with Facebook, whose podcast, Boost My Business with David Fisher, features unique perspectives and insight from business leaders and small business owners. Hear stories and anecdotes about businesses just like yours. Gain insight on what it takes to grow a business and learn from both the mistakes and triumphs of others. Download Boost My Business wherever you get your podcasts. That's Boost My Business Podcast. Before we get started, support for this podcast comes from Boost with Facebook, whose podcast, Boost My Business with David Fisher, features unique perspectives and insight from business leaders and small business owners. Hear stories and anecdotes about businesses just like yours. Gain insight on what it takes to grow a business and learn from both the mistakes and triumphs of others. Download Boost My Business wherever you get your podcasts. That's Boost My Business Podcast. Hello, party people. Welcome back to another episode of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Taylor Davis, joined by my wonderful co-host, McKenna Kelly, here to talk all things gymnastics for you. And as always, we've got a great episode for you today. I know that I say that every week, but it's true. We're going to talk all about what's happening in the NCAA this week. Very college-heavy episode. Going to go ahead and forewarn any of you elite fans. Obviously, there is stuff to talk about, but we're going to save it for next week because we have a lot of college topics that we want to dive into. And then we have another awesome interview for you guys at the end of the episode. A former teammate of McKenna's and now assistant coach at Penn State, Ashley Natt, or Bugs, as a lot of people know her, will be joining us to talk all about her time at LSU, her time just in college gymnastics in general, and um, her experience now in the coaching world. So it's going to be a great episode. We've got a lot to talk about, so we're just going to dive right in. And I think arguably the biggest topic that has caught everyone's eye lately was the UCLA-Utah meet. Uh, This one is always impressive, and this year certainly did not disappoint. A lot of specifics to break down about this one, but for anyone who does not know, Utah defeated UCLA by the narrowest of margins, and both scores just ridiculous. 198.075 to 198.025. Now, I don't even I don't even know how you break this one down because there was so much energy behind this yeah. one and intensity. But McKenna, I think a, a really good thing to acknowledge is the fact that this is a very um intense and competitive Pac-12 rivalry mm-hmm. that I think we could definitely see affect the postseason again. Yeah, that's a good point. Um and there is a lot of uproar about overscoring. I I think that's like the only thing anyone ever talks about in this college gymnastics season this year is overscoring. And and I get it and it's annoying, but I think you also have to think about, like you just pointed out Taylor, the energy behind that meet and how close of a rivalry and like how tough of a competition that was. I mean, you were literally seeing good gymnastics after good gymnastics. I mean, it was, it was a fight. It was going to be a fight if, if it was underscored, it didn't matter. I mean, everyone on those teams is good, like really good. Yeah. Um, and so for there to be overscoring, I'm, I'm not surprised, one, because of the caliber of gymnastics that those teams are putting out. But two, again, the rivalry and the hype and, and how much fun and how great those teams are. Um, if you're a judge, you're going to you're gonna buy into those things. You're going to be absorbed into that environment. If, if you've got the fans roaring, if you can barely hear yourself think, that's going to obviously make you think, oh, that must have been a really good routine or maybe I can give that right. here and there, you know? So I think, I think we do have to remember that. Um, but especially at home dual meets, you're going to see overscoring. I mean, that, that's just part of it. 
Um, but I loved that meet. That was something, one, I loved being able to watch a different conference. It's again, I have touched on this a couple of times, but for me to, um, kind of branch out and, and see, watch other conferences, being an SEC gymnast, obviously you focus on like what's in front of you and your teams. And we never saw much of other conferences seeing a, a big 10 and, and Pac-12. That's always so exciting. So to watch this meet and as close as it was, these are the upsets that we look for. These, that's what yeah. makes gymnastics exciting. You know, we all, we all get so bored of, Oh, you being perfect and winning every freaking thing in the world. And, and it's upsets <laughs> like that and close competitions like that, that keep people going, that, that create programs on the rise. That's what we want in the sport. Right. And, and I also think it's important for people to keep in mind, if we are all on the same page as far as wanting gymnastics to grow, meets like this are going to help in that. Mm, because absolutely. for the casual gymnast fan who is maybe watching it for the first time, and they're not entirely sure what all these scores mean and deductions and all of that, they're seeing a head-to-head competition which is what sports are all about. And it's by the narrowest of margin and it's back and forth. Every single routine matters and can impact the score. And the winner is determined at the very last second. That's why everyone loves a buzzer beater in basketball or an overtime win in football. Like these close gymnastics meets uh, for people that are well-versed in gymnastics, you can go back through that entire meet and see where score discrepancy really was. And it probably would have been a bigger gap between scoring but if we all see the bigger picture in this is one that was highly broadcasted it was watched by a lot of people and it had a result that probably drew in a lot of eyes and and that's good for the sport absolutely it's huge and I'm thinking of the two tens we saw from this meet Grace Glenn unbelievable first of all epic First ever leadoff position to get a 10-0. So well-deserved. Um, and I think I, I want to point out to, to those of you who are unsure, you know, why is this such a big deal? There is always strategy in college gymnastics. I mean, there's a reason why you put six up and five scores count. You know, that's the, that's what's so exciting about a team sport is you can you can have those shifts. You can count on certain people. You can put people in different places for reasons. The lineup is built strategically. You have your first competitor. You want them to be consistent, smooth, beautiful, elegant. You want them to be able to start your lineup on a positive note. Okay, so putting Grace Glenn first is huge. She obviously, if you've watched her beam routine, her leaps are my dream leap. Like it's perfect. She hits above a 180 degree, which is a perfect split angle. Um, she showcases flexibility. She's a little bit powerful. There's flight to her skills. There's a bit of aggression to her skills. Now, why it's such a big deal is because that's the first score up. That's the first routine a judge is seeing. And the way you build up your lineup is you, you're going to put your, your better gymnast, your more difficult gymnast, the gymnast who have a little bit of pizzazz and not that they're all not good. That's not what I'm saying. It's you, you stack it differently. Like you're going to, you're going to put different girls in different places for score potentials. At the end of the day, you're all trying to get a big team score, right? Of course, individual is great, but the way you want to place it is to help each other out a little bit. And so for Grace to get a perfect 10, for the judges to give the first routine off the bat a perfect 10 is huge. And that just goes to show what the rest of the lineup is going to look like. Good gracious. No kidding. And and watching it, her technique is, is so beautiful, beautiful to watch. And you can see why she's in that leadoff spot. But mm-hmm. honestly, that performance could be an anchor. Like, uh, she did absolutely. such a stellar job. And like, 
the the execution and the nuances of her movement, even her like hand movement, it mm-hmm. just oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And I think she's so deserved a 10. That's one thing that sucks is like, if you put a really good routine and a really good athlete in the leadoff spot, that athlete has pretty, um, until now when Grace Glenn changed history, but up until this point, that athlete has basically had to forfeit that 10 experience. Yes. Yep. And, and I think that also goes along with the judging bias that we continue to talk about, but I don't think we've talked about it at this angle. Um, and I think it's important too. I mean, we've talked about gymnasts should be scored on their gymnastics, not their Leo, not where they are in the lineup. And that, that's what we mean is Grace Glenn has hit multiple 10-0 routines, multiple routines that, that could have, that should have been potential 10-0 scores. And now she's getting rewarded for that. The, the, the judging bias comes in is where it shouldn't matter where you are in the lineup. If it's a 10 routine, it's right. a 10 routine. Grace has opened the door for so many leadoffs in the country. I mean, I saw this on Twitter and it obviously came to mind. I'm thinking of my LSU team. I always think of my LSU team, right? Erin McAdake, if you guys are familiar with her, she was a oh, yeah. huge, fabulous leadoff for, for LSU on beam. Her and Maya Hamburg were kind of a one-two punch, Dee would always call them. They were great back-to-back. Um, but Erin went multiple 995, kind of like Grace Glenn style too, just very – very beautiful, huge split elements, flexible, exciting to watch, brings a personality to the routine. Erin um, went multiple 995. I think she, at one point she went 9975. Should have gotten a 10 a few times. Um, so we're thankful for people like Grace to open the door for other leadoffs that, hey, it, don't, you don't need to be discouraged. Don't be upset that you're the leadoff. You matter and you count. And the judges are going to be able to see that now that it shouldn't matter. Absolutely. I think that even like a subconscious perspective of a judge, the same way that as, you know, the rotation continues and the lineup leads, if you get to the anchor, you feel like, okay, I have to give a 10. Like judges sometimes feel backed into a corner right, if they right. get the person before a 9975. Yep. Like you can only go up. I think they feel that in the leadoff as well. They feel yes. like, well, I can't give a 10 regardless of how perfect the execution is. So Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to see that the first one is done because you're absolutely right. I think it opens the door for that to happen more, but it absolutely has to be deserved. And I think Grace Glenn 1000% deserved it. But I mean, that was just one of the epic performances that were included in this meet. I mean, UCLA scored the highest rotation score in NCAA with a 49-8 on floor. And yet, and yet it didn't win the meet because Utah had the highest beam score in NCAA happening at the same time with a 49.775. I mean, these kinds of meets are the ones where you you literally like can't sit down. No. You're just jumping up and down. And it, talk to me about it from an athlete's perspective, because I've always been curious about this. When you're in one of those situations and it really is just, oh, well, I raise you this, I raise you that. It, did you feed off moments like that? How do nerves not get to you when everyone is just performing out of their minds. Oh heck yeah, you have to you have to use it to the advantage, right? You can't you cannot get into the mindset of oh my gosh, the pre- you can't do that. If you are putting yourself 
in an unfortunate position and an unfortunate mindset. If that's the route you're going to take, if that's the perspective you're going to have. But I think college, the environment itself and the whole team dynamic, they don't let you go to that place. You know, everyone is so hyped. You're feeding off of those things. I mean, that's like the national championship. Everyone is so hyped. It's a packed full arena of so many different teams and so much is going on at the same time. And so there's a lot of distractions. There's going to be a lot of noise, but it's so much fun. And it also, I mean, yeah, of course there's pressure. Of course there's nerves. But you have to leave it all out on the floor. You have to give it all you got because those are the routines you leave with no regrets. This one was just out the gate really yeah. strong. And I think that that's another important aspect to to notice is Utah performed spectacularly on bars to start mm-hmm. the meet. So mm-hmm. this thing was established from the jump that this was going to be a very highly competitive meet. And I think that that is... That is sometimes overlooked that in road meets, if you don't start off really, really strong, you're setting yourself behind the eight ball because there are an aspect, there is an aspect to the judging that we just, we can't help with a home meet and the crowd, especially with UCLA being the floor legends that they are. Like, you know, the big scores are coming at the end. Mm -hmm. So for Utah to come out the way they did on bars, it set the tone for the rest of the meet. And I was so impressed by how much uh, importance they put on that because I think that really Mm -hmm. made the difference. And then we also have to shout out Abby Paulson, who also got a 10 on beam and basically clinched the win while UCLA is lighting it up on floor. I mean, talk about ice water in your veins. Yeah, no, that was huge. And Abby Paulson was an elite. She actually trained um, with Maggie Nichols um, and Olivia Troutman from OU. So um, to see her kind of in her own place at Utah, she's killing it um that's super exciting so congrats to you definitely also want to give a shout out to florida who clinched the sec regular season title this past week and uh, really just so not a shock at all i mean florida did what we expected them to do after last postseason where they were taken out of the national championship running because of the new regional format. And we talked to Jenny Rowland before the season and she said, this team has a fire. And I think that they have showcased that in their meets and, and they're competing with that edge. So Definitely not a shock to see them get the SEC regular season title, but uh, it's just a matter of how they continue going because they've started strong, but can they maintain it? They've been crushing it. I'm not sure their endurance is going to run out. I think, I think because they have a different motive that's carrying them. They don't, they don't want to feel that defeat that they felt at the, the, a very, shocking ending for their season last year. And and we've talked about their senior class before, Amelia Hunley, Rachel Gowie. They've got a stacked senior class, Alyssa Bauman. I mean, they've got girls leading this team, um, girls that are very, very good at their gymnastics. They know what the heck they're Definitely. doing. And they have the depth in different different classes throughout their team. So I don't I don't foresee their endurance running out at all. I think if anything, they're they're gonna they're gonna come out on top. I, I kinda I kind of feel like they're they may take it all this year. Um, Florida, really? I, I do. I do. I think, well, first of all, Florida and Michigan outscored Oklahoma this meet because Maggie Nichols went down, um, with an injury or I'm not sure if she went down, but I do know she is injured. And KJ said, she's not sure, um, when they'll see Maggie back. KJ's, um, hmm. I saw it quoted on Twitter. KJ's response was kind of, um, 
wishy, wishy-washy in the sense of, you know, she didn't want to tell too much, of course. And I get that as a coach, you're, you want to protect your athletes and, and their privacy right. and injuries. And I, I totally understand and respect that. Um, but I know the gym internet was freaking out and um, it, it obviously shook up Oklahoma a little bit. Their beam rotation wasn't as solid as we would normally see. Um, but that, that opens the door for Florida, for teams that are as aggressive and consistent um, and competitive like Florida, that it definitely opens the door for them. Honestly, what Oklahoma knows, they, they'll they be okay in regular season without Maggie. Yeah. And that's just the reality of the depth that they have established right. there at Oklahoma. They will be okay. So yeah. they are not going to push Maggie until postseason if they don't have to. They, they should have heard the time to rest. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that they know that. So KJ is being smart about not giving too much away as far as like where Maggie is and things like that because – uh, it, it that's all strategic, and you're also not wanting to clue your opponent in too Absolutely. much. Absolutely, they should be preparing to see in yeah. the lineup. You keep that stuff close to the belt, man. And Absolutely. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Maggie for a while, but I don't think that that would allude to the severity of an injury. I think mm-hmm. they're just in a really good position right now, and they know what they need her for come postseason. Exactly. So if they can give her a, a breather, then they likely will. Um. Well, I do want to mention real quickly that this week we now begin the NQS rankings, which are the national qualifying score. Up until now, those have not been calculated, but this week begins that. And just for clarification purposes, the NQS is calculated by taking the team's top six scores, three of them road meets, which plays Mm -hmm. directly into what we were just talking about, that the home judging bias and home crowd, they they want to take some of that impact away when determining the NQS. So you have to have three really solid road scores or neutral site scores because those will be taken over some of right. your great home scores. Right. Uh, you drop the top and then you average the remaining five. So that is now how we are ranking these teams. And with that, Oklahoma is still sitting at number one. Their NQS is a 197 nine. Three. Oh my and then, gosh, that's their Florida. average, guys. Their like, average. I, that's them on an it's average laughable. day. It's, it really it's is. laughable. It is. Followed by Florida at two, UCLA, Utah, LSU. So just want to bring up that that is now how we are going to be determining rankings, and that will set up the stage uh, for postseason. Was that something that you guys ever really thought about McKenna as an athlete. We obviously talk about it a yeah. ton from the broadcasting perspective, but was that something that you guys knew? Like, okay, this is the week that these scores are, are now determining things. Um, I mean, my coaches definitely would emphasize on it. I mean, we, we would have Monday meetings and, the, you know, the coach, it matters to the coaches because it matters to the judges and it matters to the fans and, um, you know, judges, judges are people too. And judges have social media too. And judges look at the rankings too. And that's definitely going to put a bias and kind of put a perspective on, you know, if they're going to judge an LSU Florida meet, they're going to be, they're going to already come in thinking, well, Florida's ahead of LSU. So let's keep that in mind as we're judging, whether they consciously are making that decision or not, it is the truth. Um, from an athlete's perspective, Honestly, it was something I never really worried about. You know, I always felt like, you know, if we're going to be there, we're going to be there. It, it, it doesn't matter where we're competing. We just got to do our job. I think that is the mentality you have to have. Um, right. Coaches, of course, do want to bring it to your attention. Like, hey, guys, this meat matters like a lot. Um, but they, it, you also can't you can't go in competing like that. You can't put that extra pressure on yourself. You just have to go out and do your job. 
Okay, well, like we mentioned last week, we want to start elaborating a little bit more on different um, aspects of the technical side. You guys specifically asked for a better explanation on deductions, and uh, our resident gymnast, McKenna, is (laughs) doing her due diligence to explain that uh, a little bit deeper. So this week, she is going to explain a little bit more about vault deductions, and each week we're going to do a different apparatus. So I am not even going to pretend like I know. I'm going to (laughs) learn a lot. With the listeners. No, you're great. Go ahead, teach us. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, again, I touched on this the last podcast. It's so weird for me to like have to go through the rules and and look, you know, look up specifics and and what you guys need to hear to be educated, right? Because as a gymnast, I'm just, I do what my coaches tell me that I need to do for requirements to, to get my start value. And I just do my job. So, for me, I'm also learning. So, I'm with you on this, guys. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I want to start on vault. I feel like that's an easy place to start and break things down considering it's kind of one big element. So I feel obviously the vault, the flipping side, the twisting side of it does have a value to it. But overall, I don't really feel like you can build up your vault to have a specific start value. Your vault is either like a 10-0 or it's not. I don't know. There's different like bars. You have to have certain requirements. Vault, it's just like you have to flip and twist and land and that's your vault, whether it's a 10-0 or not. Um, But what I've done for you guys today is I've broken down the common vault entries that we see in every college gymnastics meet or, you know, very rare. Some of them are unique and some of them are very common, like a Yurchenko. Um, But so I guess what I could say, the vault start value is a zero. And then of course the vault itself has the value. What the judges are looking for, this is what the judges are looking for, the pre-flight. So the hurdle into the vault, the entry on the board, hitting the table, are their shoulders open? Do they have bent knees? Is their head out? They're looking for those little things just in the beginning start of the vault. Once they are on top of the table, or, or I guess you could call this like the support of the vault, are, again, are their shoulders open? Are, is there a shoulder angle? Are they bent? Are their legs apart? They're, again, still looking for the little deductions, the little form things on top of the table. Post-flight, so leaving the table, where the twist, where the flip is happening, is their head out? Are their arms in the right place? Are their legs apart? Are their feet pointed? Are their hips piked? Where Where is their head? Are they twisting correctly? And then, of course, the landing. And you guys know, you know, you want to stick the landing, but obviously they're going to see, is there a step? Um, is there a hop? Is there, are they running out of it? Are they, is there a fall? So obviously the, the, the little basic form deductions, the head placement, the position on the table, on the entry, they're looking for those little things. And, and if you guys are thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, but vault so fast. Yeah. And they're looking at all these different angles. So judges are human too. We got to give them some grace here, but the common, <laughs> the common vault entries, what we normally see in in college gymnastics. So we're going to start with the front handspring vault. If you're familiar with this, if this is a front entry vault. So what I mean by that is you are running and your chest stays forward the whole time. You're not, there's not a round off. Your back doesn't go into the table like a Yurchenko would. You're staying forward and, and your body is entering the table forward. So a front entry. So a front handspring, um, you're going to run, you jump, you put your feet on the springboard, your hands go onto the table. So picture like a handstand on the table and then you pop off. That would be a front handspring. And, and what you would normally see out of a front handspring, so there's, you can do, you could do anything, but what you would normally see in college, you're going to see a tuck. 
you're going to see a tuck half, a pike and a pike half. A tuck only starts at a 9-8 because it's it's very easy difficulty, especially for older college gymnasts. A tuck half is a 9-9 start value. So a little harder, still an easy tuck position, the very basic position, but you're adding a twist. A pike is only a 9-9, so front handspring, front pike. Um, and then a front pike half is a 10-0. Um, with being the most difficulty. So that that would be an example of how um, a front handspring entry can have a 10-0 start value or, you know, what are the other start values on the backside of the flip. Um, and then you have this super common entry we see is a Yurchenko. So what you're going to see for this, for the entry, it's going to be a round off onto the ground. So what you'll see is there's normally like a little hand pad is what we call it, or a hand mat before the board. This is just some extra cushion. And also because the springboard is a little bit has obviously, I mean, it's an object, so it's going to be bigger on to, or excuse me, on the vault runway. So having that hand pad kind of evens that out for you. So you'll put your hands down on that hand pad. You'll do a round off onto the board. Then you'll reach back, stretch your armpits open. That's why I tell little kids, keep your armpits open because <laughs> if your armpits are open, then you don't have a shoulder angle, right? They're going to reach back onto the table. So now their back is facing the front of the table. They're doing a back handspring onto the table and then their flip off. Um, for your Chenko and you guys, to my gym friends, you guys know we just recently or just, I guess it's kind of, it's pretty recent. We just recently devalued the full, um, but a Yurchenko layout starts at a 975, a Yurchenko half and a Yurchenko full started at 995 and then a one and a half or a double, which is the more common start values or what you're seeing for more difficulty is going to be a 10 now, I want to point out that the reason why coaches are so gung-ho about we need a 10-0, we need a 10-0 on vault, because it's it's more room for you to have those seductions. Because think about it. If you have a gymnast doing a one and a half vault, okay, you're a Chanko one and a half and she takes a small step, that's probably going to be about a tenth, maybe, I mean, depending on how big the step is, a tenth, maybe a tenth and a half or two, depending on how difficult the judging is also. Um, so right. you go from a nine, eight, if you're doing an, a full and you have a big step, you're starting from a nine, nine, five, and you're taking two tenths from a nine, nine, five. So you're going from a nine, seven, five to a nine, eight or a nine, five. I mean, that's, you're going to win that. That is a score you can beat just by having the bigger start value. You're leaving yourself more room for error. And that's why they're so adamant about having more 10 vaults because you can score bigger or have, you know, kind of that cushion to make those mistakes and still get a good score. Um, and then these are a little bit more unique entries on vault, but still we see them. I, I'm pretty sure Florida has one. I know Georgia does. They have a souk. Um, so a sukahara or short abbreviated for a souk, um, it is a round off onto the table. So this, I wouldn't say this is a front entry vault. It, it's kind of like a sideways entry vault, I guess. So you're running, it, you're running like you would a front handspring. There's no hand pad. Your feet hit the springboard. And you're hitting the table a little bit to the side because you're doing a round off over the table, right? And then, of course, the flip side, literally, <laughs> the flip side of things. <laughs> Sorry, very Love bad it. pun. Souk tuck, you're going to start from a 9-5. That's something, and I think the difficulty is so low on that because that is probably one of the first vaults when you start flipping as a gymnast that you'll be doing. So you'll see those in level 8, level 7. Um, so a, a souk tuck is a 9-5. A souk half um, is a 9-8. I'm sorry, a souk tuck half is a 9-8, and then a souk layout half is a 10-0, and a souk full is a 10-0. Obviously, you can do a pike or you can do a pike full and that sort of thing, but that's not really something you see in college. And again, I wanted to point out the things we see. So you're probably going to see a souk half or a souk full, which is 10-0 start value. And then the last one, this one I think is actually a bit, um, it's up and coming. I've seen more gymnasts do this, um, a horkina. And what this is, 
it's pretty much a crossbreed of a Yurchenko and a front handspring vault. So picture that round off in the beginning of a Yurchenko. But once you hit the board, you're not going backwards. You're going to start to turn and then you hit the table forward like a front handspring and then you'll do your flip on the other side. So for a Horkina, um, you'll do a Horkina tuck is a 9-9, a tuck half is a 10, and a pike or a pike half is a 10. And I think the reason these tuck positions and these pike positions are getting higher start values is because that entry is so difficult. Not every gymnast can um, turn over a round off and hit the table into a front handspring um, all at once. It's a very hard and difficult, unique vault. Um, so I do like that they are rewarding that difficulty um, on the other on the other side of the table um, as well. But that's what I have for you guys as far as deductions um, form. Anything form, if, if you're seeing shoulder angles, um, your head is out, position is just off, it's not um, really pretty or, or good, there's going to be a deduction there. Anywhere from, you know, a quarter of a tenth to probably two full tenths unless there's a fall. That, that's most likely what you're going to see. But that's what I got for you guys on vault. That's your breakdown. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I think stuff like that, we always have talked about it on the broadcast side of things. It's always kind of a difficult thing because – that kind of elaborate discussion is really the only way you can actually get what's going on. Mm -hmm. But there's such a limited amount of right. time to do that. A broadcast window is like an hour and a half. Yeah. And so it, everything they're explaining is kind of condensed. And I know that that's something that like Kathy Johnson Clark, for example, is always like, oh, I want to explain yes. more because I think that's really the only way that you can fully get it is if you uh, elaborate a little bit more. So I'm, I'm glad that we're... Uh, trying to help do that because we have a little more time than the broadcast window. Right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and bring in our wonderful guests. Like I mentioned at the beginning, we have Ashley Nat or Bugs, as she was formerly known during her competition days and really her entire life. So I'm going to have a hard time not calling her Bugs. No. But uh, we are both so excited to get to catch up with her. She is just such a light. She she really has such an awesome personality and spirit about her. And I, I know she's making quite an impact as a coach these days. So we are going to bring in Bugs now. All right, everybody, it is time to bring in our fabulous guest. We are both so excited to be joined by former LSU gymnast, now assistant coach at Penn State. You know her, you probably love her. Everyone, welcome Ashley Knapp. Yay. Hi, everybody. It's only a matter of time before we start referring to you as Bugs, which is what you are affectionately known as. I got to ask, now that you're a coach, are you keeping that nickname or no? Okay, so no, but not <laughs> by choice. Not by okay. choice. I wasn't like, nobody can call me that. I, um, when I arrived here, it was just kind of like I became Ashley and our girls call me Ash, which is weird because like that's what we called our volunteer coach at LSU. Right. ATK. We call her Ash. So now it's like, now I'm Ash, and oh, I don't know. Like it's totally fine. I think I've I've grown up my whole life being bugs, and that's what I am used to. Um, I think the people that are really struggling with this transition are my parents. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> when they come and visit me, they like start referring to me, and they'll say bugs, and then they'll be like, "Oh my gosh, so sorry." And you know, I mean, Ashley. I'm like, okay. First of all, I don't care. Right. Um, and the girls are completely aware. They know all about it. Um, but it's just funny to, I mean, it's definitely interesting. It feels very like transformative. Like I've entered a new phase of life. Yeah. Um, right. But yeah. Now, now I'm referred to as Ashley all the time. That's so funny. 
Well, when I was covering you during your career, one thing that I realized about you was you have a ton of humility, and I know you're probably going to disagree with what I'm about to say, but during your college career, you really kind of represented NCAA gymnastics. You really did. You just had this kind of like polarizing effect when you performed, and you really were a representative of what college gymnastics is. And so oh when gosh. you look back, <laughs> just go with it, girl, I promise. Um, Take the compliment. <laughs> no, I mean, I, that is absolutely what it was like. And so I want to hear from you, from your perspective, as someone who really got the most out of your college gymnastics experience, how were you able to just kind of leave it all out there and, and just – kind of remain yourself while pursuing your sport? First of all, thank you. That is the, <laughs> potentially the biggest compliment I've ever received. I think it's kind of exactly what you were talking about is like my main goal for myself was to leave it all out there. And like, that was something that like, I constantly wanted to remind myself is like when this ends, because it all comes to an end at one point or another, it's like, what will that, like, how will I feel? What will that look like for me? Will I be able to say that I did everything I could possibly do for LSU and for our team and for the girls around me. And I think that was something that like really kept me focused and really kept me hyper aware of making the most of everything that was going on around me. And I think the, the closer you get to your senior year, the more that you realize that it's short and it's fast and it is the best four years of your life that you are never going to get back. And so being able to be out there and um, do everything that you can for, I mean, for a program and for um, coaches who pour so much into you and for teammates who are, they become your family. Like, I mean, you want to, you want to give everything that you can possibly give, of Mm -hmm. course. And so I think that's what drove me. And like, that's what made me want to be the competitor that I was. And so it wasn't about scoring or, I mean, placement. Like I knew that those are things that you absolutely can't control. But I think that you're always going to be able to control your effort. You're always going to be able to control your energy. You're always going to be able to control the way that you show up every day, whether it's practice or a meet or a team function. You you can control those things. And so controlling the controllables was definitely first and foremost on my priority list. And then you kind of just have to let the rest fall into place. And I think I was so fortunate um, to be on, on the positive side of that experience and um, just be able to to watch everything unfold and be a part of something that was um, so much bigger than me and just so much bigger than anything that I thought it could have been when I showed up to LSU on day one. I would have never imagined that it, it would end the way that it did. I'm like sitting here and like reliving, I feel like your memories with you. Like I am picturing everything you're saying, like you are such, or you were, and you still are, of course, but as a gymnast, you were so so passionate about everything you did and you truly did leave it all out there. I mean, from your heart to your actual gymnastics. Um, and you definitely always set the tone for the team. And, um, I think that has a lot to do with, you know, how the following senior classes, my senior class, the senior class before me knew how to lead the team or knew at least what attributes and what they had to do, um, because of the way you and your class led so seamlessly and so effortlessly. I think it's just because of who you are. Um, I am curious to know how has your passion led you into coaching? Like, how are you able to 
you know, take what you've learned, take how you have led um, and have your successes. And how are you teaching your girls at Penn State to have that passion? Or is that something you can even teach? Yeah, I mean, I think that you go back and forth between like teaching and like, like what people have innately and like things, people who they are as humans, like they're adults, like we're, we're coaching full grown adults right. that have personalities and quirks and traits that are all awesome and all amazing. And I think, yes, it is a part of our job to, to help them and to guide them along the way. Um, but, you know, when they arrive on campus, they, they are who they are. And I think as you go through college, you grow and you change and you transform. Um, I think that one thing that I try to do and I try to remind them of as often as possible is what we just talked about is how short it is and like how sweet it is and like how we cannot always just nitpick and and want to be focused on the scores and oh we're not you know I want to be scoring higher I want to be I want to be this I want to be that and like that's not the end goal you know like the end goal should like to be is to leave everything out there and to have no regrets and so um, I think it is so so easy I mean there's no fault against them to get caught up in the scoring and um, things that have gone on throughout um, this year and you know you're in college and like there's so much going on and like you're in such a transformative state um, but I think like to remind them that this is a gift and like mm-hmm. I think our staff our entire staff does such a good job of reminding them that like we are it is a it's an honor to be here it's a gift that you get to do gymnastics every day and like we are fortunate and we are blessed and um, and that's kind of where we try to lead them from that place of like you get to not you have to I think what you said about it's so rewarding and it's one of those sports that takes so much out of you I think that is what makes it so rewarding is because there's not one area of your life that you can oh I can I can hang on to this you you truly have to sacrifice your time um maybe rest you have to sacrifice um being like intentional, you know, especially if you have an injury, you have to be smart in how you train. I mean, it takes truly every single aspect area of your life to be focused and your energy to be put in into the sport. I think that's a really good point. And I do think that is why it is so rewarding. I love that. In terms of, so obviously you competed at LSU and the SEC. What has that shift been going into the Big Ten? Tell us your the, the big shift and how that transition has been for you. Um, yeah, it's definitely been a big shift. Um, I think I think there are so many things um, that go into it, and it's been so interesting to. I mean, I I will sit in Sarah's office and I will listen to her talk about like the conference and like how they run things. Um, I think like even the way that they do their championship is completely set up differently. And so like that was something that I had to learn um, because there are 10 big 10 teams and there are eight SEC teams. So in the big 10, you can't get 10 dual meets against each team. So we compete against five and then we go to one neutral site and we compete in a big five meet where we go head to head technically with five teams. Yeah. We just did this past weekend. It was the craziest thing. But, I mean, it, it was an awesome event. Like, it was put on Elevate the Stage, did so great, and we got to compete on podium. But we competed right. against five other conference teams, and, like, whoever you beat, like, those you you secure wins over those teams. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then it also seeds you for our Big Ten championship meet, um, which, as you know, in the SEC, it's four in the morning, four in the evening. Right. Well, in the Big Ten, they just changed it this year to do six teams in a morning session and four teams at night. Oh, wow. Um, which is like, it is, it's just a lot of moving parts, I think. For um, sure. Just to like, sometimes I forget and like, I can't wrap my head around it and like, they have to explain it to me again. Yeah. Um, but um, it's been super interesting that way to see um, things like that. I think I've really enjoyed going to other universities that I've never seen before and being like, I've never been here. Like, right. Like, um, and seeing their arenas and things like that. Um, I've, I like that because you, you go to one place and like, how many times have we been to Alabama, Georgia, and Florida? You know, like, you know what you're mm-hmm. getting out of the experience. But I think going to other places and um, watching the sport grow as well, I think, we're at this point in the season, we're seeing Michigan and Minnesota who are part of the big 10 that are rising to the top and that we're ranked um, so high year round. And so I think that they're a great representation of what's going on in our conference and um, the competitiveness and um, things that are, we're, I think we're continuing to grow and build and um, become, I mean, we're a force, we're, we're a power five conference. And so I think it's really important um to have that kind of recognition nationwide. And I know Penn State, we're still in a rebuilding phase, um, technically speaking, but I think the quality of gymnastics all over the nation is definitely increasing. And I think that they're going to continue to be um, upset and things that we see where different schools from different conferences are rising to the top and um, they're going to become, I mean, powerhouses in one way or another. Right. I mean, we talk about that all the time on this show, just that distribution of talent across the nation is good for the growth of the sport. It had kind Absolutely. of gotten to the point where we were getting kind of repetitive and sure there's still the, the powerhouses and, and they're keeping their seat at the top right now, but you are yeah. starting to see the emergence of some of these different programs and, and that's going to set it up for a more exciting postseason. So I completely agree with you on that. I do want to get a little bit of insight on this Penn state team, get some firsthand knowledge from a coach. You mentioned it's a bit of a rebuild year and obviously we're in the thick of the season now, but just give us a little insight into this group of athletes that you're working with and, and just what you've been seeing uh, as far as their um, growth? Yeah, of course. So I think, um, I mean, we had a really, really amazing fall. Um, a lot of, they work so, they're, what I can say is that like this group that we have here, they are marked by their hard work and they are marked by their dedication. And I think as a coach, that is all that you can ask for. Is, I mean, and so being here in the fall um, and watching their work and watching their attention to detail and watching, um, I think, we were aware that because we are in, in a rebuilding phase that we're not necessarily going to get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to scoring. So I think that we're mm-hmm. constantly being aware of the detail that we have to pay attention to um, in order to, to get those bigger scores. Um, right. And so that's something that we're really focused on here and that we were focused on all fall. I think as we started our season, we didn't really know um, what to expect um, from a competitive standpoint and how it was going to translate. And so I think we, we had a we got off to a little bit of a rough start. Um, we opened up at in California at the California Grand Invitational, and um, it was a big environment for our girls, and um, we were on podium. And so I think that like that was definitely a learning lesson. And so all year we've been um, talking about um, climbing a ladder. You know, every meet that we do, it's the step of a ladder, but also that can be broken down into our meets. And so 
We've also talked about like every event is one step on the ladder and we have to get to the top of the ladder to see the whole picture. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think our girls have learned from every single meet that we've competed in. Um, and I think our staff has learned from every single meet that we've competed in. Um, and we have had to mentally hone ourselves in. We've had to um, become mentally stronger, mentally tougher in order to get ourselves to a place where um, our confidence is really coming out when we're competing. And so I think that we're definitely, uh, we really uh, turned a corner this past weekend at, um, at Big Fives and um, being able to see our girls be rewarded um, for routines that we've been seeing all year was, I mean, it was amazing for us. But it was, it's great for their confidence. And I think as we head into this final stretch of the postseason, um, and then we go into postseason. That's something that we're going to continue to want to see is their confidence. I think our best gymnastics is still ahead of us. And I think that that's what's really exciting is that we've had some highs and lows. We've had, um, you know, different environments along the way. But I, I still believe that our best gymnastics is ahead of us. I still think that um, our best meet is in front of us. Well, Bugs, they are so lucky to have you. And we are so thankful and so happy to have had you on the podcast. So thank you for joining us, Bugs. You're very welcome. Good to talk to you guys. That'll do it for us this week on Chalk Talk. As always, thank you guys so much for listening to us. We certainly appreciate all our listeners and our followers. We have gotten a little bit of encouragement and feedback from some of you guys this past week, and we greatly appreciate that. We obviously want you guys uh, to feel involved in this show, and so we are happy to hear that you're liking some of the stuff that we're talking about. So, Definitely subscribe. Make sure you are listening to us each week. Tell your friends and spread the word that we're putting out episodes every single week. And we'll keep getting more guests for you because this thing is just getting more and more fun. And postseason is getting closer and closer. So you want to stay with us for that. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. We'll talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.